Welcome to the podcast project of Fermat's Last Theater in Madison, Wisconsin. Today, we have the pleasure of meeting with Lori Dupreet Brown and Sarley Mercado of the Living Poetry Women in Translation program, which they've been directing for two years now at UW-Madison. Lori also directs the 4W Women and Wellbeing Initiative and is Associate Director of the Global Health Institute, and Sarley is a Senior Lecturer in the Department of Spanish and Portuguese at UW-Madison. So, Sarley and Lori, thank you for being here. And first of all, I would just like to ask, how did the Women in Translation program begin? Well, this mainly began as an exploration of the idea of poetry, but it had, it had a, an encounter of going to Guadalajara, to these projects that we are collaborating with the Museum of Environmental Sciences. Yeah, I think we started dreaming of translating together with the works of Aldo Leopold. And then when we went to the Museum of Environmental Sciences in Guadalajara, which is being developed by a colleague of ours, Eduardo Santana, is the director of that museum, Mm -hmm. we realized that we loved literature together and we loved Central America together. And we had lots of history and we realized we had a future together too. And we began to think about what we could do in this partnership. And this prize, this literary prize, is one of the most important literary prizes in Spanish language poetry. And so we thought... That's the City of Nature? Yes, the City of Nature Prize. And so we thought, we don't have resources. We're just the two of us. We're here. We're in love with this work. What can we do? And we decided to begin with just kind of one stone in the water with translating one or two key works from the different prize winners. It was a relatively humble program at the start. And as we dove into it, we realized how rich the translation process was in itself to the translator, not just as a service to the poet. And Sarley had a bigger vision that I'll invite her to tell you about, but it's it's grown incredibly since that first project of friendship and love for poetry. We thought we could do it well and with rigor if we kept our list small. And we were able to add a lot of other facets yes. um, to it over time. What also became like a, a new approach to translation and to thinking about poetry was precisely the idea of doing it collectively. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was that um, we discovered the pleasure of translating together, right? The, the joy of translating together. And we thought about inviting other women that would be interested in, in sort of collaborating. And, and so this approach is not different than, you know, the avant-garde poets did at the beginning of the 20th century or what the muralists did in Mexico. The idea of sort of transforming a way of approaching translation and to consider also that translation is that contact zone, right, where different cultures sort of get together and sort of try to communicate a meaning of a text, a meaning of an experience. And without forgetting also that poetry in itself is an act of translation, right? So that for us became the main experience of doing it collectively, right? Yeah, and I think another aspect um, of the collective work that sort of inverted what usually happens, I mean, what usually happens in life is if you disagree about the meaning of a word, it's a disagreement and Mm -hmm. you debate it. 
But in the world of poetry, having different understandings of a word is a huge opportunity because there's a little world in there to open. And you can suddenly understand what a farm is so much more by discussing what it is in New Hampshire and what it means in Mexico and what it means in Spain and Argentina because there's all, the, all these nuances to that word. And that we became aware of that when we had Brigitte Baptiste, a leading environmental activist from Colombia, had just come from UN meetings where they were trying to yes. figure out language for you know the final text, I think, of the Sustainable Development Goals. And Brigitte said, um, th- this is so wonderful compared compared to the wordsmithing, you know, that I've been doing because we're just discovering so much about the language when we precisely when we see the different perspectives. So there's a lot of um, I think metaphors for for peace building and understanding others mm-hmm. and really um, expanding your mind through translation. Translation is a poetry as well as poetry being a poetry, mm-hmm. and I don't think. I didn't realize that certainly as the you know as someone who comes to this as a public health practitioner I was with you know many literary people and um Sarli is both a poet and a literary scholar so just a lot of sort of treasures within the project So you're finding agreements where people would in the past have found disagreements it sounds like the word metaphors and yeah, and what happens is everyone comes in working hard and they think they have it. Mm-hmm. And then what we come up with collectively is so much better than what any individual yes. did that it, it's so satisfying that being wrong doesn't matter because the, the poem was, was, you know, came and out you so have well. access to the poet herself. Mm-hmm. Right. That's another Those layer. Those haven't had, mm-hmm. so exactly. that's a whole other step. Right? Yes, that's true. We, we have the opportunity to meet with the writers themselves and to discuss that there is an approach that we have to this act of translating collectively, which is a sort of a circle to begin listening to the writer or, you know, read the poem or the text, it's him or herself. And so we can listen to the rhythm, discuss any metaphor or any image that we sort of find, how did you come up with that, you know, thought process. And so we sort of... Um, Considering that translation is a is a way of reading, deep reading, so our approach as well means an exercise of interpreting through translation, which is part of that, right? But also it's um, taking into account that we are trying also to think of our well-being, right? And the whole idea of translating as yoga for the mind mm. sort of was a phrase that came up in the group, right? And it sort of became like, that's true. Every time that we get together and we begin translating a poem, we find it an experience that is healing as well, that is, is more than just joy, right? That is, it goes deeper into the trying to translate uh, what's beyond the words, right? So that's one of the experiences we have had in, yeah, in that and, approach. And I think that what uh, when we talk about translation, what it means to be in translation is something we've thought about because I think everyone in the group, for one reason or another, has or does experience themselves as a woman in translation, which became the name of the group. And so that's another facet of it, that there's this place... You know, everybody in the group has been part of two or three cultures and English and Spanish are both mm-hmm. parts of their lives. And then there's this place where people share that continuum where the perfect word might be in one, one language or another and you can, you know, have a certain kind of conversation. And so probably everybody is living in translation to some degree, but um, this is a very special pocket where we have eight or ten people who are bridging, bridging um, living their lives in Spanish and living their lives with English. 
So we'll be starting now into the poetry. Charlie's going to be reading a poem by Nadia Lopez Garcia, and then Lori will be reading a translation, and then we'll go on to another poem by the same poet, whose indigenous name, by the way, is Tu Unsabi. Mm-hmm. And yes. she's going to be coming to campus, to UW-Madison. Yes, in next April. spring. Yeah. Yes, and I think that will be on Thursday, April 17th. Um, oh. She'll be speaking, and we can share more more information about that. Okay, the, the poem is titled Savvy, which is a mistake word that I believe it means rain. He visto mujeres de ojos negros y lluvia. He visto mujeres que lloran y ríen. Mujeres agua y tierra, mujeres despojadas, mujeres pájaro. He visto mujeres palabra, mujeres río, mujeres cielo. Sabi, I have seen women with eyes of black and rain. I have seen women who cry and laugh, women of water and earth. Women dispossessed and bird women. I have seen women of word, women of river, sky women. Rezo por ver mujeres siempre, mujeres que digan su palabra en este ancho cielo como jícaras con mucha agua. I pray to always see women, women that speak their word in this wide sky like jícaras full of water. Jícaras que mojan las semillas de la tierra y florecen en lo sagrado. Jícaras that water the seeds of the earth and flourish in the sacredness. Thank you for taking it one stanza at a time instead of what I said, which was to do the whole poem and then the translation. It's much easier to follow this way. Thank you. The next poem is named Casa Flor. Uh, Maybe just, just to briefly say, one of the things that we try to do besides experience the poem, you know, orally first is to understand the context around the poem and what the setting and so forth is. Mm -hmm. And one thing about this one, Casa Flor means house, house flower, as you'll see. And there's a certain timelessness that I think you and the the readers will enjoy in terms of um, the nature of home and the sense of home that it conveys. El sol nace y la casa ya huele a sempesúchil y ocote. Las piedras respiran despacio, la casa despierta y la leña habla en el fuego. House flower. The sun rises and the house smells of Sempasutil and Ocote. The stones exhale slowly. The house awakens and the firewood speaks amidst the flames. En esta casa no hay nubes. Hay flores azules, rojas y amarillas. Hay mujeres que tejen palma, hacen tortilla y rezan por sus hombres, por sus hijos. In this house, there are no clouds. There are blue, red, and yellow flowers. There are women who weave palm, make tortillas, and pray for their men, for their children. En esta casa hay grillos que lloran, corazones que no duermen y esperan, un hijo, un amor, una palabra, un nombre junto al fuego. In this house, there are crickets that cry, hearts that don't sleep and wait for a son, a love, a word, a name by the fire. En esta casa hay flores, flores espera. In this house there are flowers, flowers for waiting. Would she have written these poems initially in 
her indigenous language? I think she okay. wrote them. Um, she wrote them in mystic and Spanish, and so um, this is something that we are going to discuss with her when she comes here. Um, how was her process of writing? Because she's a bilingual poet, right? So for us, it's very interesting. Since which came first, mm. like the Spanish or the mystic? I mm. would believe that it would. It has to be the mystic first, and then the the Spanish. And so she's a bilingual poet before anyone even translates her. Yes, right, exactly. And she's been translated to other languages as well. And that I wanted to mention. Um, and it includes, um, she recently went to India, mm-hmm. and I know she's been translated also to um, to Arab as well. And uh, to English, she hasn't been translated. So we Until are now. so lucky that we are. Yeah, we are you know. lucky. Wow, I did not know that. Well, next, we'll turn to a poem by Sylvia Goldman, who is a poet from Uruguay. Yes. And also lives in the United States. Yeah, exactly. She lives right here in Chicago. Oh, Alguna caliente claridad. Al principio de la nitidez se tiene miedo de no saber qué hacer ahora en la ensalada. Nuestra propia sombra asándose en ese mediodía de conejos silenciados. Toda nitidez tiene su lugar en una boca haciéndose. Azarte que abre tu intención de no saber clarear. Sombra a la que no le decís nada por su piel de conejo. Esta noche... No es más tarde, si es que tanta nitidez permite alguna caliente claridad. Lo dicho entonces, cocinémonos al alba. A burning clarity. In the beginning of lucidity, one is afraid of no longer knowing what to do with the salad. Our own shadow sautéed in this noon of silenced rabbits. All lucidity has its place in a palette, becoming sizzling that unfolds your desire to not know how to clarify a shadow to whom you say nothing because of its rabbit fur tonight is not later if such vast lucidity allows a burning clarity that said let's cook ourselves at dawn well if anyone was wondering about the range of poetry that is now being written by Mm -hmm. women of latin america to hear these two poets together, one after the other, is just incredible. It's, it's a, really you can't get much wider of a spectrum of yes. poetry than that. Well, and what's interesting is there's such this wide spectrum in terms of the use of language and mm-hmm. the and the perspective, but they're both about the home, mm-hmm. exactly. you know, and they're mm-hmm. both. So you can take the very most intimate moments. It it makes you wonder if one poet could go and describe these flowers and the other one could describe this rabbit cooking, you know? So I think that makes it even more strong, the point that you're seeing about the differences in style and sensibility. It's true. Um, With my students, we did read these poems and they found a very traditional approach in Nadia's poem Mm -hmm. of the home of the woman, of the family of love. But when we see um, Sylvia Goldman's poem, it's still the economics of, of the home, right? It's still that interior, but it's strange. It is. It is, um, in a way, foreignized, right? That space where the woman suddenly finds herself as a mother, as a homemaker, as a wife, but herself being strange, the self in in the poem, the voice that speaks suddenly does not recognize herself there. It's alien to itself. Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
And, and so I think there's a, a completely different approach, as you said. Um, and the rest of the, the book of, of De Los Peces, La said, plays a lot with the language of children, with that discovery of the first words. But she does it in a way that it becomes completely an, uh, an alienation mm-hmm. from language. Uh, in Espanol, we say sentirse extranjera en el lenguaje, no? Mm-hmm. Um, an estrangement. Yeah, an That your own language feels like a foreign language, mm-hmm. in exactly. a sense, that you can listen to it with that amount of detachment and sort of novelty and distance in a way. And she does that in order to express that experience of being a mother, right, for a woman. Mm-hmm. And, and that transformation, and it's as a young woman also, right, as the first experience of motherhood. But also as, as the domestic fear that it's, um, that it's developing there. And with both poets, I find something that, I don't know, it's almost like the first thing I think of when I think of poetry that I have read that was originally written in Spanish, it's just the surprise and the imagery, no matter which mm-hmm. poet you're talking mm-hmm. about. So there's true. always, every poem, no matter how conventional it might seem in form, yeah. has images that just make me sit up and take notice, because mm-hmm. I never yes. the connections between two things that seem very distant. And I, I believe that in both poems, are both poets, there's an expression of desire as well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And when we spoke to Sylvia Goldman, she mentioned that this poem, the whole idea of the silent rabbits, you know, we discussed that image of the rabbits there. It's, it's the image of infancy, but it's also the image of desire um, connected there. Well, perhaps now we could go on to talk a little bit more in general about the Collective Translation Project, which has a whole story of its own, yeah. expanding and changing all the time. Yeah, well, I'll just say a little bit about the 4W initiative that hosts the project and why and how we host our work, and then Sarley can explain a little bit more about how our circle has come together. Um, the 4W Women and Wellbeing Initiative is a campus-wide program at UW-Madison where we're really trying to be at the research-to-praxis um space and trying to make change with and for leaders who care about uh, gender equality. And we just do a really broad range of things from, you know, healthcare to working in education to um, feminine menstrual hygiene project to poetry, translating poetry. And those things all fit together for us because really they're all, you know, essentials for fully realizing um, your humanity. And when we began to explore the this idea of translating together, Sarley had, had a, a bigger idea of creating another circle like like the other 4W circles around around translation. Mm, and yes. in that sense, WIT or Women in Translation was born and perhaps she can share, she, she shared with us some of her thoughts about translation and what it has meant over time and what it could mean to us. And that was, that planted the seed. Yes, I think when we think about WIT and, and our local project, it's connected to women here that are interested in, in doing this trans, um, exercise of translating and and so so the local group includes women such as Professor Cata Beilin, um, Patricia Rangel, another professor in our department, uh, Beatriz Botero, she's in the Comparative Literature and Folklore Studies, and also other colleagues from the universities such as Maria Moreno from Global Health Institute. Erika Rosales, Gabriela Gauss, which is a, a graduate student. So there's a, a there's a long list of names that we have here with a very wide range of disciplines. Yeah, and, exactly. and from all different countries all different too. Countries. So we've got and so we, 
you know, we sit there around a circle um, working on the translation right here in this building from really from all over the world. So Yes. So the International Women Collective Translation Project includes writers such as Alicia Borinsky. She's the Argentinian professor who was the director of the Writing in America's program. There's also Luisa Futuransky. She's uh, a poet from Argentina, and she uh, belongs to a generation from the 1960s, however she's been writing since back then, right? Such as uh, Juan Helman, another uh, very important writer from the 60s. She's coming this spring together with um, Philippa Page, her translator, and she's from the UK. Oh, Luisa Futuransky, Futuransky and Philippa Page are coming, are coming, also coming to Canada. Yes, in March. In March. They'll be here. Um, we are also collaborating with Silvia Eugenia Castillero. She's another poet from Mexico. She was one of the judges of the City and Nature Jose Emilio Pacheco Literary Prize. We, this October, we, we also had um, Petronella Setterlon. She's a translator from Sweden, but she lives in Mexico. And she was here with us, and she gave us a, a, a workshop. And so it was a, a, a wonderful experience to have her here with us. We also had the opportunity to have recently uh, Professor Jessie Lee Kercheval. She's a, a you know, professor in the University of Wisconsin here at Madison in the English and Creative Writing Department. Mary Janine Pitas, she was also here. She's um, the translator of an Uruguayan poet, very important Uruguayan poet from the 60s as well. Her name is Marosa Di Giorgio. And so we are going to definitely have Janine come again and to give us a workshop as well. Um, Anna Dini is another important translator. She has translated uh, Raul Zurita, a Chilean poet very important poet from the epoch of uh, when human rights were being violated in Chile. So he became one of the you know, so main voices, yes. Could you talk a bit about the anthologies from, uh, from which you've chosen some of these works, the Pacheco Prize Anthology and the Women in Environment Anthology? Um, this anthology of prize-winning poetry from the um, Premio uh, Emilio Pacheco is named after the poet Emilio Pacheco. and. We um, have been thinking about how to honor that and memorialize that in, in the collection. And so I'll share a little bit about how we have decided to title that after we share this poem with you. And one of our favorite poems uh, by this very prolific poet is called Alta Traición. And then it, it means high treason. And I hope when you hear the poem, you'll, the readers might um, feel that this is a form of treason that they, they also have committed. Alta Traición. No amo mi patria, su fulgor abstracto es inasible, pero aunque suene mal, daría la vida por diez lugares suyos, cierta gente, puertos, bosques de pino, fortalezas, una ciudad deshecha, gris, monstruosa, varias figuras de su historia, montañas y tres o cuatro ríos. High Treason by José Emilio Pacheco I do not love my country. Its abstract luster is beyond my grasp. But, although it sounds bad, I would give my life for 10 places in it, for certain people, seaports, pine woods, fortresses, a rundown city, gray, grotesque, various figures from its history, mountains, and three or four rivers. So we have um, decided to name the collection that we've 
um, been referring to mountains and three or four rivers um, and hoping that that name will capture this um, love of place that really goes beyond the different kinds of histories and nationalisms and and other kinds of um, relationships that might surround it. Um, So now we're going to read a poem by Jorge Gutierrez Reina, who is a friend and featured poet in this collection. And the name of the collection is El Otro Nombre de los Árboles. And we're going to read a poem called Birds of the City. Pájaros de la Ciudad, de Jorge Gutiérrez Reina. Por encima, por encima del aullido de las ambulancias, la campana que anuncia al camión de la basura, el rechinido de motores y el silbato del afilador, cantan los pájaros. Gritan los pájaros, al igual que nosotros, han aprendido que de lunes a viernes Hace falta 70 decibelios, de garganta para ahuyentar a otros machos buscapleitos. 70 decibelios para conseguir una cita con la pájara del vecino. Solo sábados y domingos, días que el ruido duerme hasta tarde, cantan un poco menos, por lo bajo, para curarse la ronquera. Los pájaros de la ciudad tienen un horario de oficina. Esta mujer que grita en el autobús, traje sastro, grisáceo y tacones con la, en la mano, en otro tiempo fue un pájaro. Ha perdido las alas, el pico, los tridentes ganchudos de las garras y apunta a los pasajeros en, con el dedo. A ti y a ti y a ti también te compran. Se lamenta el chofer que no acelera. Se lamenta lo que me han hecho durante tantos años entre lágrimas rabiosas. En sus gritos todavía se entremezclan los triznados, las palabras, los graznidos. Gritan los pájaros y grita esta mujer desde el último asiento del autobús. Birds of the City by Jorge Guiteres Reina Over the howling of ambulances, over the bells announcing garbage trucks idling, engines, and the knife sharpener's whistle, Birds sing. The birds shout and yawp like us. They've learned that from Monday to Friday, they need 70 guttural decibels to scare away machos ready for a fight, 70 decibels to get a date with the bird from a neighboring tree. Only on Saturdays and Sundays, when the noise sleeps in, they sing a little less in whispers to rest their hoarse throats. Birds of the city keep office hours. This woman who shouts in the bus, in a gray suit, heels in hand, she was a bird in another time. She lost her wings, her beak, her hooked talons and claws. She points at other riders. You and you and you have also sold out. She curses at the driver who keeps stalling. She curses, look what you've done to me over all these years, through raging tears. Mingled in her cries still are chirps, words, and cause. The birds cry out, and this woman cries out from the last seat in the bus. So there couldn't be a more perfect poem to win the prize for city and nature. Mm -hmm. I think that poem really Mm -hmm. captures um, the way we need to let go of that idea of a city as a place without living things, and a nature as a place without you know, kinds of complications. Yeah. What passes for civilization. Yeah. yeah.
So we have the, um, if that was tempting to readers, there will be an anthology called Mountains and, and uh, yeah, Three or Four, four rivers. rivers. And it will include not only the work of Jorge Gutierrez Reina, but also the prize winners Leon Placencia Sol, Nol, pardon, and also um, Brenda Bassett, Santiago Acosta, and the recent winner for 2019, Claudia Cabrera. So look for that sometime in uh, 2020 2020. or early 2021. So Um, that will include poetry and prose. Yes, yes, it will. Mm-hmm. Two prose writers mm-hmm. and, and one poet. So um, so I think that that poem that we just read, you know, an urban dweller can relate to it. It captures the imagination, and it's very much planted in the day and in, in our reality. And some other kinds of very powerful um, pieces, works of literature, are a little bit more drawing from a, a fantasy or a, um imaginary framework. And we have a prose winner, Brenda Brissett, that has a short story that does just that. And I think the best way to give you a taste for this unusual story is, is to read the opening um, from it. And so we'll do that now. Um, this next piece is the beginning of a short story um, that is called El Juego de la Oca. And it is from the collection entitled La Parte Profunda by Brenda Besset, and the title means uh, The Deep Side. El Juego de la Oca. The Goose's Game. Todo empezó con el hambre. Fue hace un par de meses en las moles abandonadas junto al río. Antes de la última guerra, habían sido parte de la ciudad universitaria. Los dos pabellones de hormigón Esos esqueletos brutales con cientos de ojos rotos, atravesados por el sol, solo sirven ahora para trincherarse contra la sudestada. Las lluvias del otoño que se filtran en el pantano de la orilla y se encajonan en los subsuelos nos proporcionan el agua potable. No hay madera para quemar. Los árboles se extinguieron con los sucesivos incendios. Everything began with hunger, a couple of months ago, amidst the massive abandoned structures along the river. Before the last war, they had been part of the college campus. Those two cement pavilions, brutal skeletons, with hundreds of bloodshot eyes pierced by the sun, now only good for shielding you against the southeastern winds. The autumn rains that flow through the coastal swamp and are captured in the subsoil provide us drinking water there's no wood to burn. The trees became extinct with the successive fires. No podría calcular desde hace cuánto que pensaba sobre la carne deambuladora de los gansos. Se habían adueñado de las ciudades desbastadas. Se desplazaban sin prisa, blancos y pesados. No tenían predadores a la vista. Ellos habían dejado la costa sin cangrejos ni lombrices y a través de la cadena alimenticia los arbustos de la ribera se habían quedado sin pájaros. De sus 10 kilos máximo, los gansos adultos ya pesaban en el triple. Los dientes agudos dentro de los picos se habían afilado, aptos para desgarrar, y las uñas en los extremos de sus palmas también habían crecido como las garras de un ave de rapiña. I wouldn't be able to tell you for how long I've been thinking about the meat of the wandering geese. They had taken over the devastated cities. They moved around unhurried, white and heavy. There were no predators in sight. 
They stripped the coast of crabs and worms and, moving up the food chain, the shrubs along the bank were left without birds. From their 10 kilo maximum, the adult geese tripled their weight. Their sharp teeth in their beaks filed themselves, ready to tear, and their nails had grown, too, into the claws of a bird of prey. En un principio, los jefes antiguos habían traído un grupo de gansos para engrandecer los jardines de la cúpula del gobierno con su aspecto imperial, pero con los años, los animales se fueron multiplicando en un esquema arbóreo y con una velocidad impensada, mientras que nosotros los hombres y mujeres que habíamos quedado afuera de la reorganización íbamos desapareciendo de a poco. At first, the old leaders had brought in a flock of geese to exalt the gardens of the dome of the government with their imperial appearance. But over the years, the animals multiplied in an arboreal scheme with unthinkable speed, while we, the men and women who'd been left out of the reorganization, were disappearing little by little. So speculative fiction, or whatever we want to call it, mm -hmm. is everywhere. Yeah. Is there a play on words in the title of the game of the geese in that game as in something that you play but also pray or is that yeah, would that yeah I mean that's a really great English? question because yes. in fact the idea of the game and and allusions to archery come up later mm. so mm -hmm. it is the game of the geese and the geese are both game and then who are game for the geese it's really inverting and playing with a lot of those ideas but it also is connected to the idea of the military being there yeah. right mm -hmm. and it's definitely a landscape an image of a catastrophe of and it's connected very much to what Argentina has lived through, you know, in the past, mm -hmm. uh, with the disappearances, with the human rights violations, with the dictatorship. So it's, I think if you read the entire story, it's all tied in, in there as an echo. In the very last part, mm -hmm. you said we are just, the men and women are disappearing little by little. Yeah. And there is this sense of remembering times before and now, having to confront this beast just to eat. And I'm going to share a little paragraph because it's mm -hmm. so... I mean, I'll share it in English only mm -hmm. just because yes. of time. Mm -hmm. Because it, it, it shows you where we're going with this setup that you saw of these huge, huge geese. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think I don't think it makes the podcast too too limited uh, geographically to say we have the, the turkey issue, you know, in Madison now <laughs> yes. with, um, with them showing up. So it's like that times right. 10. don't worry about that. So I still remember the times when I had family and warm food, the white and tender breast meat of the chickens from the farm, boiled corn, the taut, succulent, dark and salty charqui of my childhood, the last tin of red meat I, that I saw from the cows that no longer breed on these lands. I recalled stories of hunters in ancient times where the food was stalked and obtained through a prehistoric link between man and wild animals. Now the geese were within my reach, but I didn't have, neither I nor any of the outsiders that we are, an appropriate weapon other than a rusty kitchen knife. The fear that deterred my plan was that of physical combat at close range. To face a beast standing centimeters from its beak and claws as tall as me and to try to kill it with that insignificant knife. I could be crushed and eviscerated by the rest of the flock of these giant birds. It's impossible to detach the individual from their clan. 
So you can see the military metaphor and yeah. more there, mm-hmm. and and that fear and you know what you have to do to just survive. Yeah. And, and considering the idea of nature versus culture, it's also in there, mm-hmm. right? Um, nature turning against the human mm-hmm. and becoming a menace. Mm-hmm. One of the things that uh, Jorge Gutierrez Reina always mentions is how is nature surviving us, but how have we survived nature? So it's that dialectic approach of the relationship between culture and nature or human beings and nature and as well as city, city as the center of culture, right? It's also tied in, in this whole approach to, to thinking about the environmental crisis through poetry, through literature, and to, to reflect on that. You know, it's, I think it's more ideas are connected in there than just thinking about the end of the world. Right. And I think I the metaphor in relation to the palace is there too. You know, the, the decay, everything becomes bone, you know, that you thought would last forever, mm-hmm. that would have such pomp and order, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's not real at the end. So the, the imagery of the skulls in the beginning and all that just begins to play out. So. So that's um, going to be set. Yeah. It's going to be, we're really excited about bringing this work to an English-speaking audience. We hope it inspires people to learn the beautiful Spanish language. Mm-hmm. And we were just speaking with our colleague, um, Jesse Kercheval yesterday, and she was explaining that the act of translation is, is such a support to other artists as well, mm-hmm. because in order to be read and to have international recognition, even within the region, having your work translated is, is something that kind of you know, gets you gets you above the water there, and so hopefully with these young poets, we're we're enjoying their poetry and we're getting into print, but we're also giving them opportunities to have other platforms for their work, since everybody who writes alone in a room does want to be read. So yes, yeah. and um, I also find interesting the words of Laura um, Cesarco Egling, another of the translators that came and visited us, and she said that it's also translation um, is. It has to also we have to think of it as the connection to decolonizing considering mm-hmm. Latin America right mm-hmm. and thinking of those languages those other languages such as indigenous languages right that also are being we need to go to those languages and bring them back into because Spanish is also Spanish is, it's part of our colonial right yeah, exactly too, so. So as well, she also thought of translation as a way of really, truly understanding, as we know, a text beyond just what's in, in the surface, right? But also eliminating the hierarchy of, you know, helping women, indigenous people, being there for, for these other groups that possibly, you know, have been denied, yeah. don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. So translation sort of creates that contact zone that I was saying at the beginning. Mm-hmm to create that dialogue among cultures. Perhaps you could talk a bit about where the project is going next. Well, I think, you know, we we come from an overall um, belief in the power of these circles. And um, what we formed here is a circle of women at UW-Madison coming together. And all of them have, you know, connections in a lot of places. So building this network and building a community around this topic at UW-Madison, you know, for the world, is something that we hope to do. This has grown so quickly. And um, we're very proud to have the support of a Mellon Foundation grant that Sarley can tell you a bit more about. Um, and I, it's just been feeding on air and, and 
feeding on poetry, and I think that will continue. We, we do dream of being a place where translators and literary uh, work can come together, and so maybe UW could have more more of a space. We already have a number of scholars working in that area as, as Sarley does, and so that is one of the dreams, to create some kind of a, a workshop or space similar to the one that Sarley participated in as a scholar many years ago. So, I don't know. Sarley, what do you think? I'd like to know, every day you have a new dimension to the vision. What are what do you think, well, I um, think is the vision? I think I consider this um, platform with multiple levels. You know, we can gather people who are interested in discussing this text and learning about these writers and sort of getting to know ourselves through that process, right? And that's but but with the Center for the Humanities also collaborating with us. We have this wonderful grant that gives us the opportunity to, as I said before, bring writers from different parts of the world and from the El Mundo Hispanico, right? That they come either from Mexico, from Colombia. We have worked with uh, poets that are working for uh, with women and children who have experienced trauma due to the violence in Colombia. So, for example, they came here. We are inviting poets and scholars who are also working on, trans- on the topic of translation through uh, to come here and, and work with us in workshops. So we invite everybody who are, who's interested to come and share with us. We usually have tea, food, and you know it's more like a un convivio. I don't know how Laurie would you call convivio. And, it's like a um, a convening or a convivio. Convivir is hard to translate. Very, it it means to live together. Really, yeah. if you're going to convivir, you're not just having a, a convivencia. Means like a. It's sort of more of a Woodstock vibe, you know, right. you're living together. So again, the English language, I don't think has yeah. the perfect right. word for that. Like but we want to have a, a yeah, time. it's like saying a, a living together. A yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, I guess in terms of just a, a final thought or a, something to leave people with is, I think we came to the conclusion, many of us in the circle, that the process of translating is like yoga for the mind. And what you can do collectively is so much more beautiful and precise and true than what you can do individually, especially when it is fed by that individual and that that willingness to speak your truth and have it be heard and incorporated rather than refuted. And I think um, in some ways, you know, when I think about these poems, which I read before I translated them, I would say that it's like you haven't read a poem if you haven't translated it. It's just such a fresh reading that goes from that process. So you could even start with a poem in English translated in Spanish. Right, right. And we did do that. And so we'd like to share one more poem with you. Um, And this is by Fabu, who is a local poet that many of you know. And it is called Southern Love. Poet Laureate of Madison. Yes, she's the Poet Laureate of Madison. And she's part, she's a leader from our 4W initiative. Mm -hmm. She's a scholar also in in African literature. um, And she writes poetry. And so this is called Southern Love by Fabu. I want love to be like a good pot of greens. Pick the tenderest parts, separate them from the hard stem, removing every bit of dirt and grime, rinsing over and over and over with the clear, clean water of forgiveness, seasoned with savory meats, herbs, and spices, and then simmer, simmer, simmer. Amor sureño, por favor. Quiero que el amor 
sea como una buena olla de versas, elegir las partes más tiernas, separarlas del duro tallo, remover cada trocito de tierra y mugre, enjuagarlas una y otra y otra vez, con el agua limpia y clara del perdón, sazonarlas con sabrosas carnes, hierbas y especies, y así lento coser, coser, coser. Well, thank you both for all of your time and energy and everything that you're doing. Thank you so much for having us. Well, I look forward to keeping track of, of what you will be doing over the years. And yes, having I, you back. I hope. Thank you.